Hey there, Michael Mahaney from the Pot of the Podcast. I've got a question for you. Do you identify as a dancer? If so, I have a group for you to check out. Dance Artists National Collective is the place for you. D-A-N-C, or DANK, is a growing group of freelance dance artists organizing in solidarity to create safe, equitable, and sustainable working conditions for dancers. DANK holds weekly community response meetings every Monday on Zoom, and they host tons of focus groups for all of the important issues facing dancers, such as wages, benefits, working conditions, equity, and negotiating. They even host watch parties and other fun events to help you connect more with your dance community. Head over to their website, danceartistsnationalcollective.org. That's danceartistsnationalcollective.org to learn more about Dank and to sign their solidarity statement. And for all the latest updates, follow Dank on Instagram at Dance Artists National Collective. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Pot of Dead podcast. I'm Antoine Byers, and you've made it back to the lab, which stands for listening, learning, and building, where we create a space to share Black stories in the dance world, dissect how white supremacy shows up in our dance spaces, and dream of ways in which we can move forward to a dance world that is safe for all of us to access, participate in, and thrive. On our last episode, we started the conversation on navigating the professional dance field while Black with our two concert dancers, Rena Butler and Malik Washington. On today's episode, we're opening up our conversation a bit further and talking to two Black commercial dancers about the challenges and triumphs of maneuvering the professional dance field as Black artists. Our guests today, Taj Krudup and Keenan Cooks, are both accomplished in so many different ways as dancers, choreographers, educators, and creatives, and I'm honored to have both of them on the show. Taj has danced with Rihanna, Kanye West, Jennifer Lopez, and Lord, has choreographed for Meg Thee Stallion, Gold Link, and Tyler the Creator, and is the founder and CEO of Lil Vegan Shoddy. And Kenan has danced with Big Sean, Nicki Minaj, Neo, Kendrick Lamar, has choreographed for Cardi B, Meek Mill, and Yo Gotti, and teaches regularly at Broadway Dance Center. So honestly, both of you all have very impressive resumes and bios, so I know I probably left out a lot of information because I like to leave space for you to introduce yourselves in the way you want to be introduced. So feel free to share with us where you're from, your pronouns, land acknowledgement, or you can just let us know how you're doing today. So we can start with you, Taj. How you doing? Hi. Hey. I am doing good today, Sunday. I feel pretty chill and relaxed, which doesn't really feel as familiar these days, I think because of the times we're in, but I'm excited to be speaking with you guys. I am originally from New Jersey, New York area. I grew up training there. And then after high school, I moved to L.A. to pursue deeper into dance. I think what kind of shifts my story or what pulls me into what I do is my connection to movement and the environment and the way that kind of has broadened what I do in my career and how I live. So I think that has really plugged into my lifestyle and myself as a dancer, as a choreographer, all that good stuff, which has brought into Lil Vegan Shorty. So yeah, I think that's kind of where my pocket lands 
Yes, we love a pocket. Cool. <laughs> and Keenan, how you doing? <laughs> hey, hey. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm good. Sunday is the one day that I always just give to myself. Like no matter what is mm-hmm. going on, unless I'm like in like deep work, I always just give Sunday to myself. So it's cool. I'm starting to like kind of go vegetarian today. So I'm like getting into that and like nice. getting my life together and all those things. That's cool. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm Keenan, originally from Boston, Massachusetts. I moved to New York in 2008. And that's kind of how I got into the whole commercial world. I've been here ever since. And yeah, I'm just super grateful to be here and to have been able to work and do the things that I love, just like purely off of passion and like loving music. So that's amazing. I love that. Well, I'm really excited to have both of you on and I kind of want to just hop in and get to know you guys a little bit better, if that's cool. So I just met Taj a few months ago. We were on a panel together for a platform that we both teach for. And Keenan, this is actually our first time meeting each other. So can you guys share a little bit more about how you got to this moment in your life and your career? What was your introduction to dance? Did you grow up around a lot of dancers? How did you get here? We can start with you, Keenan. Uh, that's like a, a 26 year journey. I'm gonna try to put in like a minute. <laughs> cool. um, I grew up with just me and my mom. She was a single mom. And so obviously like anything that she did, I wanted to do. She was a dancer. So I was always like in her rehearsals, always going to shows. So it was just like an innate thing in me. Like I just seen it all the time. So naturally, whatever my mom did, I wanted to do. So that was just kind of like an easy transition. But I was always just like dancing around. I didn't really like grow up in a studio or anything like that. I didn't really start to take my dance career like serious or dancing serious till I was 14. Went to a performing arts high school in Boston called Boston Arts Academy. For some reason, I thought that I was going to go there and like be doing hip hop and doing my thing. But like we ended up like doing ballet, doing modern, doing jazz, doing tap. So I was introduced to a more classical style of dancing. And I'm not going to lie, at first I hated it. (laughs) But I realized, like kind of getting into it, I realized like if I wanted to be great, I needed to be able to do everything. So I kind of learned that at a young age. As soon as I graduated, I knew that I needed to not be in Boston because there's nothing going on there. So I moved to New York to go to college. (laughs) Didn't really want to go to college, but also didn't have the money to move. So college was my means to be in New York and be immersed in the arts here. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know where to take class. I didn't know where to go. I was just this Black boy with braids that wanted to dance. (laughs) That that was it. it. Um, yeah. So I started taking class at Broadway Dance Center. I think Luam and like Cheryl Marikami were the first two classes that I took. I didn't even, it's so crazy. I didn't even know other classes existed. So I was taking these two classes for so long. I was saving, I would save like $75 because the class card, five class card was $75. I would take five classes every two weeks and I would just like make it work. And like at the time, mm-hmm. getting $75 was like the hardest thing in the world. And <laughs> 2011, I did Rhapsody James Motivating Excellence Program, and that literally changed my life. Like, it really, like, opened my eyes to the commercial dance and, like, having a look. And if you want to be a dancer and if you want to be a choreographer and all these things, like, in my head, I had no constraints on my dreams. I knew I wanted to dance. I knew I wanted to teach. I knew I wanted to choreograph. But, like, doing that program, it kind of made me feel like I have to do one thing, which was hard for me for a long time. Mm. So 
instead of like just focusing on one thing, I was like, I'm going to be great at everything. So like I really honed in on my teaching. I really honed in on my dancing. I really honed in on my choreography. And in 2013, I started subbing at BDC. And literally from that moment, my life kind of changed. And yeah, it's been kind of crazy ever since. But that's kind of been my journey. And like my would go back and forth to LA and do the whole thing that you think you're supposed to do. But I realized that New York was what I loved and where I wanted to live. So I finally made a decision like maybe two or three years ago that this is where I'm going to be. And I'm going to like put, get New York back where it needs to be and things like that. So yeah, that's kind of how I ended up where I'm at right now. (laughs) Okay, cool. Thank you for that. And I do have a few questions in a second on that, but I do want to hear from Taj. Can you catch us up to speed how you got to where you're at right now? Yeah, for sure. I grew up in Jersey, New York area. So I started because my sister was in dance. My mom put my sister in and she was good, but she just like didn't like it. I don't think she, it just wasn't her thing. And then I would go just to like the practices and I'd be in the waiting room doing like every move and just like trying so hard. And then one day the teacher was like, yeah, you should put her in too. And then since then, I just, I don't know. I've been very, very disciplined. I think that's a huge trait in just my personality. So I kind of got really obsessed and I started doing summers at Dance Theater of Harlem. My, you know, kept continuing at the studio I was at. I moved around a bit from studio to studio until I kind of landed at the place that was really kind of building my talent. And yeah, I just kept wanting more. I think it was difficult for me to land in a pocket. I keep saying pocket, but I mean it because I grew up training in such a strict, disciplined, dance state of Harlem precise way. But I was so drawn to the creativity of dance and having no rules and doing what I wanted. So I kind of struggled with where I wanted to be in the dance industry growing up. And then conventions kind of started popping a little more. And then that's kind of where I just really bloomed from there. I think I loved the environment, the competitiveness, the choices of different dancers that kind of changed the way that I was moving. And from there, a lot of that was at the Pulse, just so we have some context there. Um, The Pulse, I became a protege and started doing all that stuff. And That kind of introduced me into the commercial side of things and those choreographers pushed me in that direction. I think it's still, it was closer to where I was trying to land, but it still didn't give me my world that I was trying to find. So I kept pursuing it, thinking that that's what I needed to do. I moved straight after high school. I was signed, the whole thing, which was super great. And I felt really on a roll and proud of myself in that way. But again, I struggled just trying to find myself. And then I think because it had always been something that I could lean on while I was growing up, food and again, the environment and yoga and all these add-on things kind of kept me really grounded. And so I kind of took a moment with dance and pause and really got I got back to myself in a way that really felt good to me. My fitness came back. I became a soul cycle instructor. I recently got my yoga certification. I just, that's when I went vegan after moving here. And that kind of just really kept me close to myself. 
And it changed the mm-hmm. way that I moved. It changed the way that I was showing up to auditions. It changed the way that I was seeing other dancers because I had this new grounded place. And then from there, I think everything started to spark. I think because I was in a different place, I showed up different. I started booking with people that aligned with myself, Rihanna, Kanye, etc. And then things kind of just sparked from there. So yeah, I would say it was a lot of me figuring out where I felt good. So yeah, that's kind of how I've bloomed to here. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And some things that stuck out to me are, you know, finding yourself and finding alignment and finding places that feel comfortable to you. And you guys know I'm a concert dancer, so I do a little bit different work than you guys do. But I often hear about, I hear about the things in concert dance that can maybe push Black artists away from concert dance. But I hear that a lot from people that are still in concert dance. And both of you guys talked a little bit about having, you know, more classical, traditional concert dance training. Taj, you talked about DTH and Kenan, you were at Boston Arts Academy. So what was different about the spaces that you dance in now that made you feel more at home than maybe the ballet and the modern classes that you trained in before? (laughs) I guess for me, what pushed me away from not wanting to do concert dance, if I'm being honest, is I didn't see a lot of people who looked like me. Like the, the master classes and the teachers that we would have and come in, I was like, a lot of them don't look the way that I look. A lot of them don't move the way I move. So it shied me from it. I still put my all into it and I still worked and I still wanted to be great because I knew that it would help me in the long run. But it just didn't feel like something that I could do because I think I didn't see a lot of Black people doing it. And when I seen commercial dance, when I saw music videos, when I saw like dancers behind artists. When I saw movies, I saw a lot of Black people. I saw a lot of Black men. I saw a lot of Black women. So it felt like not only was it something I love, but it felt like a place that I could be in. When I like went to valets and things like that, I was just like, I don't know if I could see myself doing it. And like, as I, now that I'm older, I'm 30 years old, I'm like, I don't know if I necessarily didn't like it or I just didn't see a representation or a lot of representation of me. So I know that's why I definitely pushed a lot more to be in the commercial world as opposed to the concert dance world. Yeah. Thank you for that. Do you connect with that, Taj? Was that a I think on, on some levels, I think in like studio spaces, very strict studio spaces that weren't like DTH, which is, you know, black based. Mm-hmm. I think there's definitely a discomfort. There's definitely a part of you that doesn't feel like you're welcomed. You're not home. You're not. So that definitely pushed me away in some spaces for sure. But I was also really privileged that my parents kind of also tried to really expose me to like Black concert dance. This is a thing, you know, like if I want to do this, it is. And like full disclaimer, I do still want to do concert dance, like in a perfect world, a couple years from now, NDT, see you, you know? Um, But (laughs) I think, yeah, for sure. I'm there front and center. Come on, for Let's sure. Go. But I think that I also knew where I was at timing. I think that being like 18, fresh, ready to do some Disney, like I was not ready to go to Israel. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I know yeah. that I was not also the kind of teenager that was down to be at a strict ballet school from, you know, eight. That's that wasn't me, you know? So yeah. I think my it was also a personality thing. It was also a right now thing. I think it's a timing thing mm-hmm. for me also. Yeah. 
That's real. And Keenan, you said something about representation. And this was another question I had because this is a big thing. Like what you just described is something that's major for us on the concert side of dance. But from the outside looking in, like I always see so many black dancers and dancers of color in the commercial spaces. So is is representation at all do you feel like an issue or are there other things that act as barriers in the commercial dance space? I feel like in terms of like blackness and like color, I feel like there's a lot of that in the commercial dance realm. And I, I feel like that has a lot to do also with like trends, you know, like it, it has a lot to do with trends and like artists want these type of dances and these type of people can do them. You know what I'm saying? Or I literally just got, a casting the other day for a specific artist that said ethnic dancers, <laughs> you know, like th- that's, that's what they wanted. Mm. So I, I feel like in that sense, there's a lot of representation, but when you break it down, there are things like colorism happening <laughs> in the midst of mm. the commercial industry with black people. So I will say on the positive side, there is a lot of representation, but again, just like any industry, there are still those issues that are happening. Yeah. Do you agree with that, Taj? I do. I would even tag that to say, like, I feel we're getting to the point where almost also hiring people to be us, you know, Mm -hmm. like to play the role of a black person. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. we could just hire the black people that are your ass. I don't it's a getting there's a there's definitely representation because commercial dance, hip hop, America (laughs) is based on black people so it's gonna be there it's definitely gonna be Mm -hmm. there how do you how do you portray anything how do you sell a product without blackness to be real so it's Mm -hmm. there but now it's getting to the point of like are you just selling me or are Mm -hmm. you representing my talent are you representing what I bring to the table there's so many layers of it so I think we have to be just cautious of that Yeah, 100%. And Taj, I want to, well, we had a, when we were on the panel a few months ago, we had an interesting conversation about some of your experiences that you had had. And I'll let you tell your own story if you want to talk about that or talk about something else. But I just wanted to hear specifically, like, what are some specific challenges that you might, you know, face while auditioning and, you know, trying to enter these spaces or even working in or moving your way up? Because both of you guys are not only dancers, but you're choreographers. So you told the line of like what I call front of the room and back of the room. You're you're leaders and you're also expected to like follow. So what are some specific challenges that you face as Black dancers? I could go into a little bit about, I think, the story that (laughs) we're talking about. Um, (laughs) And I think for me, it was just so... Of course, I know that these things are going to happen. I'm very aware of the fact that I'm Black. But I think that it was so... It took me back so deeply because of the setting that I was in. And I just thought we were way further. It Mm -hmm. was during my time at World of Dance on NBC, which is just a giant network that at this point, you know, we should be way past where we are. And just to be, I was also the group that I was in. I was the only Black person in the group. And the lack, there was just no one from hair, not a single person from makeup that was at all capable, knew not a single Black human was in the space but me several, several times. 
And it would be just, uh, for me, it was also the battle of what to say, when to say it, when do I ask for help? Because I really do need it and don't look like anybody else, you know? Mm-hmm. When do I, it put me in an interesting place with my teammates. It put me in an interesting place with my choreographer. I think for me, it just fully tarnished the entire experience because it separated me so deeply from my team, from my competition, from my experience there. There was just multiple occasions where they would just totally skip over me. I would need like multiple things happening with my costume and not get any attention. Multiple Mm -hmm. times where the girls would be fully done, looks gorgeous, and I look like crazy, crazy. And then they're like, okay, go. And then like me asking, for a little more attention because this is going to affect my performance quite literally, you know? It just was, it was a battle. Every single day was a, it was difficult. And because I had no one that looked like me even near me for quite some time because they're on the show for a very long time, actually all the way through to the end. So that was, it was just, it was, it was very difficult. Very difficult. Yeah. And we often talk about like when you're the only person in that space, like you need the makeup artist, you need the hair artist, you need the directors, you need those people that can connect to your experience as a black person to vouch for you. Right. If you don't have black hair, how are you supposed to vouch for black hair? If you don't. Right. If you don't need, you know, black makeup. Right. You don't know what it takes. And then when we say things like working 10 times as hard, like I think this came up in our conversation before that sometimes we show up and we have to literally work 10 times as hard to get the same job done as our white counterpart. I mean, like me running to try to match their makeup in the mirror. Like what color lip do you have on? And me just staring, trying to match it in the mirror, you know, (laughs) like right before I'm trying to go on, you know? So Mm. just little stuff like that, that no one else has a clue that we are dealing with, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that can ruin your experience because on that day, you didn't get to just be the fabulous dancer that you are. You had to be the dancer the makeup artist, the hair artist, the costume right. designer. You didn't get to right. show up in your beauty and in everything that you showed up to do. You had to show up and do a lot of other stuff. So mm-hmm. it, it, it can really, you know, it really, it, it can steal an experience from you. And I think that's important to recognize what these things can do. Keenan, do you have anything to add or share that might connect with those experiences? Just literally this, the same type of experience <laughs> when you're the only Black person in the room. I was on a job for maybe like a month. It was for a huge performance for a Latin artist. At the time, I was only like a skeleton crew. So skeleton crew was like when they're getting the performance together, they get a group of dancers. So I was just in place of one of her dancers. This particular artist has a specific look for sure for all of her dancers, both male and female. So I walk in a room, I am the only Black man in this room, the only Black person to be precise. So that already makes me feel like I have a target on my back. Like I already know that I have to go 10 times harder. I already know that I have to work harder. She walks Mm -hmm. in, eyes are directly on me and not everybody else. Mm -hmm. And there are other, there are other people in the room who aren't probably even close to as good as me, but they look the part, you know, but I still have to do what I have to do. I still have to bust my ass 10, percent go full out, make sure I know everything, you know, it ended up happening that because I had that target on my back and it made me do so well, I ended up being on the job. Mm-hmm. And the person whose place mm-hmm. I was in, they ended up not doing the show because I did what I had to do. But 
there was a constant target on my back. She was constantly looking at me. The dancers were constantly like giving me shade because I just wasn't what was used Them, to in that, yeah. ca- in that camp. But what was really dope was the day of the show, a lot of New York dancers like, yo, it's amazing to see you up there because there is no representation for us in this camp, you know? Mm-hmm. And to be right off her shoulder, things like that we just love as a dancer, it just meant a lot more to me to be a Black person in that camp off her shoulder being shown, being like represented. And again, it, it was a hard month. It was a really hard <laughs> month. But the, but the payoff was amazing because that opened the door to, I promise you after that show, there were a lot more black dancers, both male and female in that camp. And it sucks that we have to work 10 times harder, but it, it, it's great when the reward is there and people see that, you know, maybe I should be, a little bit more open with the type of dancers that I'm picking and the type of people that I'm using. So again, same experience, kind of in a sense, but for me, it's just the frustrating part is we always have to work harder. No matter what the space is, we have to work harder. Yeah. Even when we're better, like you just explained. Even when we're better. (laughs) And, And well, you know, I mean, that's real though. That's real in a lot of the spaces that I'm sure we've all been in. We're trying to prove you know, our years of experiences, our talent, you know, to to people that just sometimes don't see it. One thing I want to really, before I go on a tangent, that was me stopping myself from going on a tangent. Um, <laughs> one thing I wanted to talk on was you guys have kind of talked about like the look, having a look, a specific look. Can you talk about, I, I get what that looks like in concert dance, but can you explain what that might look like in a commercial space and how has that affected the way you navigate auditions and showing up for castings and stuff like that? you can start with I'll start yeah I am I'm an oddball I'm (laughs) I've always literally shown it like quite literally since I was a kid like had half my head shaved just did whatever I wanted kind of thing and I think for me there's only you can only digest one type of black person And once even that is a oof, even that we're pushing it, you know, and so me not wanting to back down from the things that make me me not didn't fit chocolate girl with curly fro number five. And, you know, I did the whole put on a weave that looked exactly like that and literally (laughs) would wake up sick. Like, truly, this is not even close to me kind of thing. So I think that I think that was really that is something that I still, I still, I mean, right now my eyebrows are ice yellow, you know, they might wake up with them pink, you know? So I think, (laughs) thank you. I think (laughs) not fitting their definition of black woman is difficult for everyone. And I don't do that. So. Mm. Mm. So Just to kind of go off of what, what Taj is saying is so interesting because now I feel like in the commercial world, we're in a place where they want different. They want the big girl. Mm-hmm, they want mm-hmm. the, the guy that's super mm-hmm. Afrocentric, the guy that can be a little androgynous and things like that. It's like all these things that we've been fighting for for so long. Like, I just want to be myself because, I, because I'm me, but I have the talent. It's like now that's mm-hmm. such a cool thing. Like we want the different people, but like a few years ago, Yeah. And even I would say even that we got to get careful because that runs the play of like who's playing a weird person. Uh Exactly. You know what I mean? So now you now you brush on these 
and you look, you're t- two shades lighter than me, so you book it, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that we also have to be careful of the trend thing, as you're saying. It's becoming, like, hot. Yeah. So I think we need to just not oversaturate and just be really specific about what I'm seeing in front of me. Is this genuine? Do I really connect with this? Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Who is this Black person? I think if we're specific mm-hmm. about who we're seeing and encountering, a lot of this will mellow out, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I think when it comes to my experience, I've, I had a, a great mother and a great family who always like just pumped positivity in me about being Black and being a Black man and just being confident in myself. Like if you meet my mom, like she's the dopest person in the whole wide world. Aww. And like she's just, she's like super confident. Oh, so I've always been in that place, but it wasn't until like I started like dancing professionally is where I almost started to like doubt myself a little bit and that confidence kind of went down. Mm-hmm. I remember, uh, yeah, and, and and I feel like I can say this because it's a bad thing, but it just is the reality of what it is. Uh, the commercial dance program that I did, Motivating Excellence, I remember we were just like having a conversation one day and we were like, so oh, why did you pick us? And this, that, and the third. And there was a, a dancer in the program. When he first started, he was like, terrible. <laughs> like, couldn't pick up choreography, <laughs> anything like that. And we were all like really shocked, like as to why he got in. But I mean, he worked his ass off once he got into the program. But he was like really like Spanish, Spanish boy, really pretty, curly hair, all these things. And the uh, creator of this program literally said, I looked at his headshot and I knew that I had to have him in this program. She was like, I know that I can figure mm-hmm. out how to get him where he needs to get. But I looked at his headshot and knew that he had it. And for me, I'm like, I've been like busting my ass for like six years since I moved to New York, like working to make sure that my dancing was undeniable. Like, fuck my hair and my chest and all these yeah. things. Like, mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that I was the best at my art and I was the best at my craft. And to hear that, it was so discouraging for me because I'm like, well, what is what is the point of this if mm-hmm. that's all it takes? If I could take a bomb ass picture and that's it, you know? So it was like for me, that started there and that was in like 2011. So like I had braids at the time. I cut my hair and like did like a little fade and was like trying to like put a little S curl in there so it could be like <laughs> nice looking and like I'm like this short black boy. So I started putting heel inserts in my shoes so I could be taller and like it just really started to like mess with me. I was at auditions falling because my shoe, my foot was coming out of the shoe. And like, I would look at myself and I'm like, who the hell is this? Mm-hmm. You know, like, like who mm-hmm. am I? And I had to take a step back and I had to be like, if I'm going to do this, I have to do it right. And I have to do it the way that I want to do it. And I have to be myself and I have to do it because I love dancing. And I went back to that and like training and not like worrying about like, how I look so much. And like I said, being undeniable, like I'm going to walk in this room and even if they don't want a black person, I'm, they're going to remember me. They're going to remember. And I feel like from that moment, my career changed, but like my life changed too. And I decided that I wanted to be the choreographer that would be the difference. If I had the control, I didn't want people to feel how I felt. And like, that's kind of just the path that I'm on now as a teacher and as a choreographer, like, sharing my experience and trying to be the difference because we don't have a lot of those choreographers or teachers who are trying to change the way things have been in this industry. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. That honestly shook me up a little bit because 
Well, a few things. So back to Taj, you said you can only digest one type of Black person. I feel like I definitely feel that. You know, I feel like in the concert dance world, it's the, the Black dancer with the feet and the legs, right? Or the tall and thin or the, the Ailey body type, right, of mm-hmm. dancer. So that really stuck out to me because I feel like that's something universal in our culture, but specifically in our dance cultures as well. So I just wanted to flag that. And also, uh, Keenan, you said that the self-doubt didn't come until you were a professional dancer. And I think that like that was really powerful for me because like I had the same type of like family support mm-hmm. system too, where I was, you know, and they also don't necessarily know as much about dance. So they automatically right. think you're the best dancer in the world. You're the best one, but, yeah. <laughs> So that was, I, I experienced that. And I think it's so, I think it's important to, you know, acknowledge that how much confidence we had until we got into the game and how that switched everything from us and can t- kind of take away our joy a little bit too. And then lastly, just describing that photograph of the dancer. I mean, you described what they looked like, curly hair, lighter skin. I couldn't remember everything you said, but it's like the fact that someone could look at a picture of the dancer you describe and say that they they have to have them because they know they'll make it. They know. Do they look at us and say the same thing? Are they looking at our photographs and, and the way we look and our natural beauty and our qualities and saying the same thing that you have to have us that you know that we'll make it? And especially when these people get to make these decisions, right? You're creating the program that's accepting the day. You're deciding these things. You're at the front of the room. You're gatekeeping. You're shifting the culture. You have the power to do that. So... I don't know. Those are just some thoughts I had on that because that really was like, dang, like, wow. But you talked about, Keenan, a little bit about like what you're trying to do as a choreographer. So I'd love to hear about like both of you teach, both of you choreograph and what are you trying to change about maybe what you experience in the back of the room, right, as a dancer and a performer? Uh, What are you trying to shift when you're in the front of the room as a choreographer, a teacher and a creator for those who might look like you in the space? come from Um, where you came from for me i feel like it's like so many levels to it i feel like as dancers as dancers as black dancers like we experience so much you experience putting a lot of your time into a specific choreographer or a teacher and maybe like you're an amazing dancer but you don't look the part so they may not go with you you know what i'm saying like we've experienced that and then as a black dancer you just experience feeling typecasted, like you can only be in one space, you can only be one character, you can only do one job. So for me, I've experienced all of that. I've experienced giving my time to teachers and choreographers. And then when the opportunity comes to put me on, I don't get put on because I don't look the part. I've experienced going to castings or being in an agency and they're like, these are the things that you can do. But I'm like, there were never any constraints on my dreams as a kid. So this is not all I can do. So as a teacher, as a choreographer, for me, it's like the people who support me, I want to make sure that not only I give you support back, but when I get the chance to be put on, you're put on. You know what I'm saying? Not only because you're talented, but because you're loyal. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like that gets lost. And then just as a dancer, I think for me, I never had someone, a Black man or a Black woman telling me like, hey, these, these, oh, are, the rooms that, these are the realms that you can be in. These, this, this is the things that you could do and things that you can't do like I just want to be that person that I never had for people because I didn't I feel like I didn't have anyone and I had to navigate through these things on my own so as a teacher and as a choreographer I think that that's where I want to be and especially as a choreographer really putting on talent 
and not just about a look. If I have the control, I'm picking the person who's talented rather than the person who looks the part because the person who got the talent, they look good too. <laughs> they may not right. look like the curly hair girl or guy, but they look good too. You know what I'm saying? We have mm-hmm. to, again, having the power push a different standard. You know what I'm saying? So that's kind of where I'm at with my choreography and my teaching and the, the difference that I want to make. Mm-hmm. What about you, Tyler? That was really beautiful. For me, I think I know that this is not everybody's jam or how everyone works. But for me, my approach is very about the art. I think that how I started and the reason why I gravitate towards dance, towards movement as a whole, towards connecting to my body is because of what it fills my body up with, like sensation wise. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the reason why we like, I think all three of us can relate to, you know, getting into professional dancing, like inducing anxiety or just kind of self, self-hate a little bit and yeah. criticism and et cetera. And I think that for me, I want to, one, make sure that my spaces and the way that I create, even the product holds really true to the art and really true to what's present. I think when I work with a body of music or a group of people, I'm really about what is presently happening within this. Like, what am I right now hearing? What, how does this affect me right now? The energy that that's calling. I think whether it's in my teaching at a studio or like with LVS and my fitness, I'm really about just cultivating what's possible within the time we have, the people we have, because we're never going to get this again. And it's really special. So I think there's a lot of good stuff in that. And I really hone in on that. And then just also making sure that none of my spaces are anxiety inducing. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if we have to sage the room for a bit, if we need to some palo, we need to, you know, take a moment together. I, but I don't, I don't work well under those circumstances. And if I'm trying to get present, good magic to happen I can't if we're all in a stressful place so I just really hope that I'm the type of mentor leader teacher human that creates a space that's never anxiety ridden (laughs) and just always creates something magical that part (laughs) yeah yeah that's beautiful and you know that all, all of that stuff you talked about is actually I mean on the um, what we're talking about are all products of white supremacy culture, right? Sense of urgency and rushing to get things done and not moving at the speed of trust, but moving at the speed of the fastest person in the room, right? And for a lot of us, that might not be us because of the opportunities we've had or the exposure we've had or the rooms that we get to be in. So we don't, we're not always those people. So it's important to recognize that. And I love that you're starting to lead from that kind of place because that is you said it's not everybody's jam. It's not a lot of people's jams. A lot of people aren't used to working in that way. But I think it's important to, you know, recognize that that is a product of white supremacy culture. And shout out Tima Akum. I always talk about dismantlingracism.org if you want to read more about that. But yes, (laughs) absolutely. Okay. All right. And one question that I have before we take the break. So, and I guess I could have asked this earlier, but whatever. I feel like I can ask it now. So, like I said, I'm a concert dancer. So I, I hear about commercial dance and also hear about street dance. So how do you both define what you're calling commercial dance? And what is the relationship between that and street dance? Do those two worlds interact? Does one appropriate the other? 
as being Black artists who probably culturally have created a lot of these dance moves and styles that we're seeing, how do you relate with that? Anybody can go. I know that was a boom. (laughs) I'll go. Uh, I'll go. For me, I think that when I think about commercial, when I think about myself in commercial spaces or the way that I'm hired or needed, et cetera, with commercial dance, it's about selling. It's about Mm -hmm. product. It's about to the masses, what can I give to the masses? And I think for sure, because, you know, kind of pinging off of what I was saying before, because Black culture is, you know, kind of the rug underneath America, Mm-hmm. It's gonna Literally. come up. It needs to be sold. It need how are they can't get fed without that. So I mm-hmm. think within commercial dance, it definitely, definitely gets kind of woven in there. And yeah, it, I mean, like even t- for me, TikTok is just. I have so many. Trash. Oh my god, trash! I, I had to. I had to bring up TikTok. I had to. Let's I go. Care if one bring of, it up. Either one of you had one. I had to bring up how much <laughs> I cannot stand it. You know. <laughs> Mm. Um, so I mean that kind of puts me where I feel TikTok yeah Yeah. that kind of sums it up right there TikTok for me yeah yeah Yeah. Mm. I mean for me everything Tosh just said yes of everything (laughs) I feel like commercial dance is the business and like street dance is like the heart so like street Mm. uh, commercial dance is about a product it's about selling it the best way possible and that's However we have to get that done is how we're going to get it done. But street dance has nothing to do with that. It's about the love of dance. It's about being creative. It's Mm -hmm. about originality, you know, and commercial dance just takes that (laughs) and uses it the way that it needs to be used. And there you have it. So I feel like that's the difference, like left and right and (laughs) TikTok. (laughs) I love that. TikTok, just TikTok. TikTok. (laughs) Yeah, inside TikTok. I mean, can y'all... Yeah, give us a little bit more on TikTok from y'all's perspective, because I see it, right? And and yeah, I I love to hear from y'all. <laughs> but I mean, like it's it's it's, lit, it's literally like commercial dance and street dance. I'm like, you'll have a black person who creates this dance or creates this video or creates this trend, and it's it doesn't get that much attention. But the moment that mm-hmm. someone who is not black does it, it's huge. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's literally how and the commercial world. And it doesn't world... matter how it. This is for me the biggest thing. It doesn't matter how it looks. It doesn't matter how, who, it how it looks. It doesn't matter who it is. It could be literally white girl number fifty five. Next, you know, mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. literally on repeat. And for me, because authenticity and present moment and what I'm looking at right now is so important to me, I can't. I just can't. You know, like there's nothing yeah. special about it if it's happening over and over and over again. What was special was the black person who originated it, which is why we're doing it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like I would love to watch him or her, whoever they perform mm-hmm. this over and over. You know what I mean? Dope. You know what I mean? If yeah. you posted that and it was tight and now we're all body, you know, we're there. That's present. But then right, when you yeah. take it to a new level and then somebody else with, you know, shiny porcelain skin puts it on and then is making money off of it. You know, Mm -hmm. like there's people making true coin during this pandemic off of our, like, you know what I mean? On the internet. Mm -hmm. That's wild. That's wild. Like, you know, I'm going to need that black man to make some coin too. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm at. Because you 
Yeah. You can't even track down the Black artists that created it, right? Right. Yeah. So much further along, yeah. But the girl I'm staring at has 92K. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, our culture is more palatable when it has more proximity to whiteness. I and mean, it's like when we're doing it, it's ghetto, hood, urban, what was, ethnic, all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. But whenever somebody else does it, it's it's trendy and it's like, it's the thing, the hottest mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. All right. Y'all gave us a lot to think about. We're going to take a <laughs> quick break. <laughs> but when we come back, we'll get to know our guests a little bit better through some rapid fire questions. So we'll be right back with more on the lab choreographers out there, raise your hand if you could use more time, space, and money to create your work. Okay, don't take your hands off the wheel. Uh, they all took their hands off the wheel, Michael. I got, I got <laughs> ladies count, two million hands and car crashes. The two million choreographers with cars in New York City? Yeah, right. That's where, we, <laughs> that's where we've gone wrong in the first place. Now, totally. we all know that the answer is every single choreographer out there could use more time, space, and money to create their work. So, enter the CUNY Dance Initiative, or CDI. CDI is a residency program that opens the doors of City University of New York campuses to professional choreographers across New York City's five boroughs. They can offer you free space to create, teach, and perform, as well as financial support. Now, CDI has already helped over 130 local artists right here in New York City launch new work, develop new audiences, and establish new relationships within the performing arts community. And you know what? You could be next. Actually, Michael, we've interviewed a ton of CDI resident choreographers over the years, I think, uh, during your tenure and before. And I will say they're just always such innovators in the dance community, and they're a really diverse collection of artists. Yeah, so many incredible choreographers. You and I had the chance to talk with Tiffany Mills last year. Mm -hmm. We'll never, of course, forget Jess's awesome interview with 2019 Bessie Award winner, tap dancer Caleb Teicher. And a while ago, we talked to Efrata Sherry, who's a B-girl and a house dancer. We talked to Annabella Lanzu, uh, Benny Royce Royan. We even got to interview the director of CUNY Dance Initiative, Alyssa Alpine. And you can find all of those interviews and more at potada.com, as well as potada on iTunes. Now, missing this once-a-year application to be a CDI resident is heartbreaking. So do not let it happen to you. Make sure you jump over to the website, cuny.edu slash danceinitiative and join their email list. And check out the homepage for application alerts, insider ticket discounts, and so much more. And if you just love dance, make sure you follow at CDI underscore dance on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Okay, back to the pod. All right, so welcome back to the lab. We have taken some time to get some water, stretch out a bit, and now it's time for my favorite part of the show, rapid fire. So I think we all know how this works pretty much. I have a series of questions. Um, I try to break it a little bit so we're not just all serious talking about dance and create a way for our listeners to connect with you guys in a different way. So here we go. First question. If you could take class with anyone or grab a coffee with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? So I asked this question because maybe there's someone, there's a movement you're attracted to. So you want to like actually physicalize something with that person, but sometimes you just want to talk to somebody and pick their brain. So if you could take class or grab a coffee with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? We'll start with Keenan. <laughs> Since we're on like the realm of dance, I'll like kind of stick to that. But if I could like have coffee or even take class with someone dead or alive, it would be Left Eye from TLC. Um, yeah. The first video or the first thing that ever made me want to dance was TLC's 1995 VMA performance. 
I used to watch that video over and over and over and over and over again. And even now watching it as an adult, it's like the most simple performance, but they are like dancing. And I was like obsessed with like Left Eye and TLC when I was younger. So boom, that's what I would pick. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I was not expecting that, but I'm so hyped. I love that. <laughs> Taj, what about you? Are these two separate? I know this is rapid fire, but fine. <laughs> Uh, okay, because coffee and class are two different things for me. Yeah. Um, I would love to take class from Chaz Buzan. He was really instrumental for me in my training growing up and how I move now. And I haven't connected with him in a minute. So I would love to just get in the studio and like make something up. So yeah. I would say yeah. him. I also just really admire the way that he moves. I'm very inspired by his movement. And then coffee... I would say Frank Ocean. I want to pick that man's brain like, like, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot. <laughs> yeah. And I want to make something after it and all the things. Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> yes. So, yeah. Cool. So when y'all set up that coffee date with uh, Frank Ocean, I I'll be the plus one. I can sit at the table <laughs> next to y'all. You know, I don't even have to be a part of the conversation. But uh, yes, that's so dope. Okay, number two. Put us on to one of your favorite hometown restaurants. So I'm from Dallas. I didn't mention that earlier. And I like to rep for my city. Uh, so I've already dropped in like Whataburger, Elaine's Kitchen, Rudy's Chicken. I think I did Bahama Bucks last time. Maybe Raisin Cane's this time. I know it's not Dallas specific, but if you're in Dallas, don't pass up on Raisin Cane. So put us on to one of your favorite hometown restaurants. Ooh, we'll start with Taj this time. Ooh, okay. If you're ready, we can start. Okay, whoever ready, let's go. <laughs> This is hard because I, I'm not home much now as a vegan. So like my choice would be mm. different, but I'm going to mm. put you on to La Rosa Pizzeria. They don't just have pizza. You can get vegan pizza. You can get not vegan pizza, but they have a veggie wrap that is like, oh, banging, busting. So good. It's like oily eggplant yes. and veggies and like, you know, just sloppy. Yes. Yes. And uh -huh. this is in New Jersey? Uh-huh. La Rosa. Yes. La Rosa. Okay. Uh -huh. I'll stop. I'm going to cross the water a little bit and go see. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. Keenan, what about you? In Boston, there's this little, like, this little, like, mom and pop restaurant. It's called Silver Slipper. They have the best sweet tea in the whole wide world. Ooh. And their bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich will, like, make you pass out. So, like, <laughs> Silver Slipper in Boston, for sure. Ooh, thank you. I might, you know, <laughs> I might plan a trip to Boston for that. That sounds really good. No, seriously, I'm trying to decide where I'm going in that. Mm, I yes, might stop let's go. in Boston. I'm serious. I'm so serious. Okay. All right. I'm a music head, so I always like to know what's the last song you listened to or what's your favorite song right now or an album. I know a couple of albums have dropped. What, what's been in heavy rotation for y'all recently? Oh, we can start with you, Keenan, this time. For the past year and a half, I've been listening to Ari Lennox, Shea Butter Baby. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still listening to it now, which I love. I love that album so, so much. She just dropped a new song called Chocolate Pomegranate, which is so bomb. It's good. And, mm -hmm. yeah. and right now, like the song that like, I'm banging, banging is uh, Snow Allegra Dying for Your Love. Yes. I, I love some snow. Yeah, I mm -hmm. use her in my uh, classes, too. Yes. Okay. Taj, what about you? I'm gonna say the new Ari album because it re the shit slaps. Yeah. 
Yeah. But you know what? She sings. She sings, okay? (laughs) But the thing is, Victoria writing for her is just stupid. Exactly. Victoria Monet. Like... Mm -hmm. She wrote like how many songs did she write on this? Seven. One? She wrote seven. Yeah, albums. yeah. Uh-huh. And they're <laughs> just they're gorgeous. They're so gorgeous, yeah. and I think she just really wraps how you know women feel in a really good way. And I just really fuck with the way that she writes. I don't know if I'm allowed to curse, but I really love yeah, the way that are. she writes. And then I'm a big Erica Badu Sade head, so that is always in let's rotation. go. Like on the recorder, like always. Vinyl yes. always happens. Okay. Since she brought up Erica Badu, I always have to drop. She went to my high school. She's from Dallas, Triple D. Let's go. Did y'all know? <laughs> fun fact. Fun fact. Did y'all know that Erica Badu was a dance major at my I high did. school? I did. Oh, I didn't. Isn't know that, that crazy? Most people don't know that, right? I did. And dance. Okay. So yeah, shout out Erica. New America, part two, okay. Come on. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. And kind of related to that, but can y'all give us a quarantine recommendation? So it can be like a Netflix, a Hulu show, a book. Uh, we already kind of talked about music, but give us a quarantine rec. So Lovecraft County. Is it country or county? I just saw on Twitter country. that I was saying it. Country. Country. Was I the only one saying county for like the whole time? Okay. I think so. That's fine. <laughs> That's cool. It's Lovecraft's Country. That's my rec this week. Highly recommend HBO. What about y'all? Do y'all have any recommendations? Um, it can be a show. It can be a book. Anything. I've been like super big on shows. So Money Heist is actually a show mm. from Spain, but they have it like dubbed over in English. It's an amazing series. So good. And then, of course, all the 90s Black shows that just came back. Moesha, yes. Girlfriends, Half and Half, The Parkers. All that. I love it. Yeah, All shout that. out Monique getting her coins. Uh-huh. Shout out Monique, period. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to recommend a book that's got me like The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Mm. If you have not even heard of him or like, just please go dive. There's so much about present moment and that's really just good for the times that we're in, I think. So that is a really, yeah. really, really great book. Yeah, thank you for that. That's actually on my list. I'm reading More Than Enough by Elaine Welterop. We have a book club in Black Dance Changemakers, which is my platform or whatever. And we're reading that one. And that's a good one, too, if anybody needs some book recommendations. Okay, next question. When you think of the word successful, who comes to mind? Keenan, we'll start with you. Holy moly. A person? <laughs> yeah. And you can Keenan. take a second. There we go. Period. Uh, I mean, I, 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 I'm just like winging it because that was like, whoa, no. I need a minute for that. But like, I mean, I, I think, I think for me, like, even to go into this really deep, my aunt is a teacher, and she was like trying to create a lesson for her students, and I guess the lesson was about the American dream, and she said to me, she was like, you, I think you're living the American dream. I was like, I don't think I'm living the American dream. I think I'm just living my dream. So to me, I think that that's success. <laughs> successful when you can yeah. literally do the, do the things that you dream of the things that you've always wanted to do your whole life so yeah, yeah. i'm just i would just go with that <laughs> that's beautiful though and like yeah you are living your dream but you're living a lot of other people's dream too so i think that's beautiful. a beautiful answer you gave but like from the outside i'll gas you up for you, you know, like, <laughs> it's major what you're doing so oh, that's, that's incredible you. 
I appreciate it. Yeah. Taj, what about you? I was thinking like celebrities, all these things go to mind. And then someone that I really, really admire and think for me has reached a place that if I stop there, (laughs) even if, because I don't think that's possible for people to cap, but unless they allow it, of course, but Angela Davis, who is a Mm. um, fitness instructor. Okay. okay. I used to work pretty closely with her at SoulCycle and just being in her room, being in her spaces, the way that she greets people, the way that she moves about her money, the way that she moves about helping black people, the way that she Mm. is a physical coach and a strong, you know what I mean? Like, I think that for me, she is like mega woman. So that is for me, mm. someone who I am like right, just in awe of. So I would mm. say Angela Davis, who works at Army, if anyone wants to go, you know, tag that or anything. That. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, I love that. Thanks for dropping that. All right, last rapid fire question. So for any of our listeners who are considering a career that looks like yours, who might come from a place similar to where you came from and who might look like you, what's one piece of advice that you give them? And this time we'll start with Taj. Feel free to take a second if you need it. But what's one piece of advice you'll give to that person who's looking to you for a little nugget? Keep going. I would say this is like simple, but I would really say trust your intuition. There's so much, literally every single answer is right there. And even even when it's like, that was not it whatsoever, it was it. It was it. Like it was it because there's things in there that you needed. And for me, every single part of who I am and how I've gotten to where I am is because even when I was like confused if I should go with what other people are saying or I guess the biggest lesson I've learned is to trust my instinct and what I feel, what I'm what what feels right and what doesn't feel right. And I think that as you're pursuing something so big, like your dreams, go with what feels right and what doesn't feel right and make that distinction okay, even if the rest of the room isn't on that. Yeah. Yeah, because that is just as valid as like logical thinking, right? I'm doing air quotes if you can't see me. It's like this, our emotional thinking is just as valid as logic. I'm doing air quotes again. And I think that just the flag, that's another, you know, product of white supremacy culture. Where if it's not, if it can't be quantified, if it can't be added up, if it can't, if you can't show your work, that feeling of those emotions are not valid. Uh, so I love Absolutely. that you brought that into the space too. And like that guttural knowledge and that ancestral knowledge is, there's a lot of information there. So yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Keenan, what about you? One piece of advice for us. I say these things all the time and I definitely feel like I've said it as we were talking, but uh, the two things that I would say is don't let anyone put constraints on your dreams. I feel like in this industry, we're told you can only do a certain thing or in order to get here, you have to do this. But as a kid, as a teenager, as an adult, you see things the, the way that you want them. And I, and I think that anything is possible. You just have to do it, you know? And then that goes yeah. with the second thing that I was saying is just be undeniable. Like when you walk in a room, you need to be undeniable. When you dance, you need to be undeniable. When you talk, you need to be undeniable because there will always be a place for you because Mm-hmm. there's no one like you there's nobody like you and you may walk in a room and they be looking for something and then they see you and or they're like 
shit, you, I can't use you for this, but I want to use you for something because you're just so amazing. And I think with those two things, you literally will be able to do anything in this industry and in your life that you want to do. If you do not let people put constraints on your dreams and just be undeniable in everything that you do. Yes, I agree with all of that. Thank you. Thank you all mm -hmm. so much. Well, we've come to the end of our show and I just wanted to say thank you to both of you for taking out time today to come and have an open and honest discussion with me and our podcast listeners. You gave us a lot to think about. I'm still processing and simmering and I've learned a lot from today's conversation. So thank you so much. Before we head out, I'd like to close by sharing where our listeners can find out more about you. So you can share with us any links or social media handles or anything uh, you guys have coming up so we can support you guys. So we can start with you, Taj. You can find me at Tosh Crudup. That is my Instagram handle, T-A-S-H-C-R-U-D-U-P. And then my website is little, L-I-L, vegan, shorty, spelled S-H-A-W-T-Y dot co, C-O. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Tosh. Check her out. Keenan. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. YouTube, all A-O Keenan. So A-Y-O-K-E-E-N-A-N. That's where I post my work. That's where I post updates, all that good stuff. Beautiful. Thank you both again for being on the show. And you can follow along with us everywhere at Potterdiff. And you can follow me personally at Antoine Byers on Instagram. And if you identify as a Black dancer and want to learn more about a social platform built to unite and uplift Black dancers in our field through leadership, service, education, and community building, check us out at blackdancechangemakers.com. All right, that's all for now. And we'll see you next time here at the lab on Pata Bye.